When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with Sirius XM's Listen Next program, presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with Sirius XM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Isa as host Isa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And now, and now, prepare yourself for the only talk radio show you'll want to turn up. Crank this thing. Sirius XM Pandora presents the place where your hard rock and metal voice can still be heard. You bet your ass, baby. Unfiltered, uncensored, say whatever you want. Hit the record button. Anything can happen, you know. I know that ain't nobody out there came to be mellow tonight, now did you? I say, I say there ain't nobody. I'll say there ain't nobody not out there that even wants to be a little bit mellow now, is there? Anybody wants to get mellow, you can turn around and get the fuck out of here, all right? This is the Trunk Nation Podcast, Podcast. with host Eddie Trunk. What's up, everybody? It's Eddie Trunk, and welcome to another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. New episodes every Thursday, wherever you get your podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you do not miss one, and thank you for listening, however, wherever you are in the world doing so. It is greatly appreciated. As I tell you every week, and we'll tell you once again this week, everything you hear on the Eddie Trunk Podcast, outside of this open, originated on my SiriusXM radio show, Trunk Nation, Heard live Monday through Friday, 3 to 5 Eastern, Faction Talk, Sirius XM Channel 103, or live or anytime on demand on the Sirius XM app. If you're in the U.S. or Canada and you only listen to this podcast, you're only getting a tiny, tiny taste of what I do on the radio live every weekday. So please come on board and join us and get involved and listen every day, either on the app or to it over the air on 103 and truly, truly get involved in the show and do not miss a thing. We appreciate you doing so, and we got a way to make it very easy for you to sample Trunk Nation on Sirius XM that won't cost you a penny. You can get a free subscription. You can try it out for three months, totally free, and won't even ask you for a credit card. All you got to do is go to SiriusXM.com slash Eddie Trunk. Again, that's SiriusXM.com slash Eddie Trunk. Get your three free months. Listen on the app if you don't have a radio or listen over the radio, whatever you'd like. And you can try out Trunk Nation for three months for free. And again, do no credit card required. SiriusXM.com slash Eddie Trunk. This week on the podcast, something a little different. Usually I bring you interviews and parts of interviews that came out of a full show. This week, we're pretty much going to bring you a full show from a couple weeks ago that I did in my Vegas studio with two old friends, Steve Brown and PJ Farley from the band Trickster. And let me give you the context here. 
So often on the radio show, I hear about and hear from listeners who are upset or not upset, but talk about great records that came out once the scene changed post Nirvana that were ignored. So in other words, 80s bands predominantly who put out records after Nevermind from Nirvana came out that were completely ignored because of the arrival of the whole grunge scene. We called it the Great Wall of Nirvana, meaning that that when Nevermind came out, we all know like a gate dropped and suddenly everything before it was just considered uncool and cast out. Couldn't like it, couldn't be played, whatever. But there were a lot of bands that made really good records post Nevermind that have now gotten some new stature, like the Motley Crue record with Karabi, one of my favorites, Skid Row, Subhuman Race, many others. So we thought it would be fun to shine a spotlight on some of those records and bands. And Steve and PJ from Trickster sitting in with me on this show experienced that themselves because their debut album came out and went like platinum and had a couple big hits. And by the time their second record came out, Nevermind came out and they were done. So they reflect a little bit about that with some stories. And we take calls from people with some of their favorite post Nirvana records from bands from the eighties. Again, we called it the great wall of Nirvana. I'm going to pretty much bring you that entire show this week as the podcast. So you can get a little taste of some of the other stuff we do outside of traditional interviews, which of course are a big uh, part of the show as well. So let's take you to my place in Vegas just a couple weeks ago, Steve and PJ from Trickster talking about some of the great 80s hard rock that was ignored and came out after Nevermind on this week's podcast. What we're going to talk about today is um, something that I get asked about a lot when we do open phones, and that is we all know, as our friend Izzy Presley named this show today, The Great Wall of Nirvana, meaning that when 1991 hits, September 91 hits, Nevermind came out, we all know, I lived it, we all lived it. One of the most abrupt, unbelievably brutal uh, changes where everything was like in one day wiped out in terms of what came before, and then everything was all about the Seattle world at that time. And so many good records came out post-Nirvana, never mind, from 80s bands that hung in there and made albums. And unfortunately, they were, it could have been the greatest record ever made, didn't stand a chance in hell, dead on arrival. Everybody's got stories about this. I can tell you a million of them being in radio and how that change happened and how abrupt and severe it was. You guys <laughs> in Trickster lived it. And you lived it in a pretty in one of the most cruel ways, meaning that, <laughs> no, what I mean by that yeah, is, yeah, I know what you mean. First yeah. album came out what year? 90. Okay, so here you guys are, still super young kids when your first record came out, and you're chasing the dream, you get the record deal, first record comes out, 1990, uh, Give It To Me Good, hits MTV, hits radio, um, One In A Million, all Surrender, Record goes what? Gold, platinum? What is gold, the first record? on its way to should have been double platinum. Silently yeah. platinum? Silently what is it platinum. now? What is the first we, album? We have platinum? no, no idea. real idea because, you know, sadly we were in Trickster was involved with uh, the possibly the worst record distribution in the, in the history of record making. But also you know? our record came out before SoundScan. 
Yes. So we got some sales. Fuzzy, before. fuzzy math. Fuzzy math, yeah. And so it, what is the record certified? It's gold. certified gold, gold. but it's yeah. got to be prob- well past a million by now as right. far as, but we'll probably never know that because of the whole the files universal, are the way everything MCA and Universal merged and it was a fucking mess. Okay. But the point of the matter is records, debut record, extremely successful. <laughs> MTV videos, you're out there on the road, everything's happening, you guys are 19 years old, whatever the hell you are, living the dream. Yep. It's 1990, here we go. And then, 91 happens. You make a second record called Here. 92. 92. Well, 92. Well, no, but I'm talking in 91 happens for, is Nirvana. Yes. Right. 91 is Nevermind, September 91. And that record comes out. And you're in the studio, I would imagine, at that well, point, we're, we're making still your riding, second record. We're still riding high into early October 91, out on tour with, with Warrant and Firehouse. And we were, we told you the story last night, we played um, in L.A. And we went to visit Geffen Records, our old um, A&R guy, and just to raid the closet, get some CDs and stuff. So we go over there, and he goes, oh, you got to hear this, Nirvana, this new band that's coming out. And, you know, long story short, we get the T-shirts and the CDs and everything. What the hell is this? This is little, the band that's going to end your career. I feel, <laughs> I, I feel like we walked away, we robbed a bank, we had the sack of money, and the ink blew. Because that's exactly <laughs> right, right, what happened. Right, right. No, the getaway car. But <laughs> yeah, boom. All of a sudden, we're covered in pink uh, paint. I've told this story numerous times how sort of, and I wish PJ, because back in the day, PJ was the guy, him and his brother would always have the video cameras. I wish more than anything that we had this on footage, you know, on video, because how ironic was it that here we are, you know, Warrant Trickster Firehouse, we're finishing up our Blood, Sweat, and Beers tour, Universal Amphitheater, sold out October of 91. We had a hugely successful, you know, our tour was 13 months from September of 1990 till October of 1991. We go to visit Bill Bennett, God rest his soul, who is our radio guy, broke us at MCA. He became the president of Geffen. He plays us Nirvana and gives us all the stuff and we're walking back to the Riot House, the Hyatt on Sunset, with the Nirvana swag, you know, the ultimate hard 80s hard rock kids in the new kids on the block of rock with the band, carrying the band along with Guns N' Roses, Tesla. Carrying the band that's going to end us and us and and everybody and everybody and every other band unbeknownst to you you were were literally carrying the bomb that was about to detonate totally it was the perfect crime yeah on sunset boulevard of all places Cobain pulled the shoot on uh cloud nine for us so so we're so we're gonna take calls from the audience and our lines are jammed because our the audience and I have talked about so many of these bands like yourself and others. And why I said for Trickster it was incredibly cruel is because bands that put out their record, first record, 83, 84, they had seven, eight years before yeah. The Wall came. Yes. You guys debut, because you're younger, your debut hits in 90. Okay, you have that year of like, year and a half of like MTV Please. and you're cool. Yeah, you're cool. You're on the radio. Yeah. It's great. It's fun. Then the gate comes down. While you're making the second record here, yes, here when the sec- the second record came out when what year October 92. of 1992. So so, <laughs> did you know? Like, did you? Okay, October 92. So that's about a year. At that point, Nirvana's humming. Like that's happening. Nirvana, Pearl Jam. I'll Alice tell you this: Shane. we had did you no have clue. any feel like that? 
Not Holy shit, t- no matter what we do in the studio right now, as a follow-up, is going to be DOA. We were so oblivious and so ensconced in what we were doing, we didn't know it was over until we got on the Kiss Tour and we went for ads for Road of a Thousand Dreams, the first singles, and every day, me and Steve would call our manager, how many ads did we get? And the numbers were dismal. They're like, guys, this isn't looking good. Every station we're going after is changing formats Every single day. It's like, oh, we just changed literally yesterday. It was impossible to get ads. And we realized really quick that this, w- the end was near. You were opening for Kiss on the Revenge Tour. Yes. Right. And even, even, I mean, even, and that's the thing about this wall coming down that people don't realize. Even a band like Kiss, who were legendary, obviously, <laughs> for already well into their career, they got i mean it would it, it didn't discriminate it wiped everything and they made back. one of the best records of their career with revenge right yeah um so yeah so i mean how did you guys uh handle that were you dumbfounded devastated hurt angry like what was the feeling about it i mean luckily we've always had a good head on our shoulders and a good sense of humor we always said hey and we still say it now when we're sitting in a car for 11 hours hey man we're just happy to be here we'd always say we're one bed song away from working on a 7-eleven or something and always you know just kind of um taking every day for what it is and appreciating yes. it and we knew that it could end at any point you know did we want it to no but i think but for we, you guys so quick because you got the you got the bite of the apple got the taste. but you got the tiny taste but then the wall came crashing because the timing who knew the timing if I'll, your first record came out in 86 you might have squeezed out three records i'll tell you why i think we, we benef- definitely would i tell you why i think we benefited the most out of that being that we were so young we, we didn't find ourselves at 40 years old going, oh, shit, what do we do now? You know, we were really young when we were kind of, as I like to say, when we were forced to, you know, pull back into the blue garage and close the door for a little bit. And so we, Steve and I became super creative and active and recording and writing. And um, I don't know, I think we, we benefited from the fact that uh, we were kind of forced into retirement and we upped our game creatively retirement oh, we at 22. To, it wasn't retirement <laughs> but getting back to it more importantly uh is the record here that you know so after the success of the first album we were able to do a great thing we had a great lawyer and our managers we we did a thing with mca records called renegotiation because we had a terrible contract and we were re, re, renegotiated with MCA Records and we got a million dollars to do our second record. It was kind of because they fucked us so much on, you know, again, we, Trickster owned MTV from October of 1990 through June. And little known fact, Trickster Surrender, last video ever played on Dial MTV. So, oh, wow. So at number one, by the at way. At number one. <laughs> wow. So, so that's another thing. And anybody that knows anything, and like John Kolodner told our managers back in, the, you know, when, when this was all, if you were on Geffen Records, you would have sold three million records. And right. it's true because, true. The, you know. MCA the touring... stood for Musician Cemetery of America. Um, we were number yeah. one on MTV. We had a hit song. Yeah. We'd go into the record stores in the mall and they wouldn't have it. Yeah. yeah. That was, that was, sell this thing, right? Timmy Good was number one and we were blowing up. We were in Ohio, which is where Ohio and Florida were the two states that really broke Trickster back. I remember it vividly we were in this mall and we went to three record stores it was when a mall had actually three record stores <laughs> only one of them had our record 
Mm. And it was and not because it, it was brutal. sold out. Yeah. Just they didn't have stock. But right. getting into the, the here aspect, we signed this huge record deal, which was incredible because I went out with my manager to do the deal and do the renegotiation. And uh, the next day I went up to 5150. And, um, you know, it was a very surreal experience later in the day that I called my parents and I said, Mom and Dad, I, I have some great news. We signed this great new record deal. We're going to be on MCA. We got a million bucks, half a million to do the record, half a million advance. So we all got some money. We all got paid, you know, as, as, as we like to get in, yeah, the, in the music business. And, uh, you know, my parents were like, man, that's really cool. And the other thing is, like, I went up to Eddie Van Halen's house and got to play all his guitars today. And that was, like, a very surreal moment. Yeah, of course. In its sense. Yeah. But we made this great record. And um, like PJ said, we were living in the trickster bubble, which I think any band that you talk to who was in this time, we were all kind of oblivious to what's going on because we were so ensconced in making what we considered and what we wanted to be our greatest record. And this record that was going to sell 10 million records. Right. Yeah. And uh, the Great Wall came down and crashed Without down on you and everybody else. So that's, so that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to turn it over to you now. Maybe Trickster here is one of your favorite uh, post-Nirvana records. Uh, could be a lot. I mean, for me, as everybody knows, I love Skid Row's Subhuman Race. That was 95. Didn't stand a chance, but uh, an amazing record. I love Extremes, Waiting for the Punchline, a really cool record. I got a funny quick story about that just because, you know, having been in radio through all that, I saw everything. Steve was saying he knew it was over for the second record because MTV declined to add your video. Oh, my God. I remember yeah. we were backstage. I think Gene Simmons was talking to somebody, and I remember jo our manager, Joel, walking up to us and saying, dude, I got bad news. MTV's not adding the Road of a Thousand Dreams video. I was basically, ah, oh. we looked yeah. at each other. Like PJ said, said, that was the kill shot. Yeah, yeah that's that when we it. knew. It was that's when you know it's over. I mean, and and when I, when I th one quick story for me before we go to the phones, I went. Uh, I was working at my uh, local rock station in Jersey, and I was doing. Uh, I was doing a regular shift, but I also was doing the metal thing on the weekend. And I got asked if Nuno and Gary could come in from Extreme, and I said, "Of course," because I love those guys. And they had this record waiting for the punchline. So yeah. whatever that was, 93 or whatever. And um, they come in and I'm on the air live in the afternoon when they show up in the lobby. And the program director at the time, uh, I said, oh, you know, tell him to come right in. I'll, I'll put him on. And he comes over and he goes, no, no, no. He goes, you're, he goes, you're, you're, we're not putting him on live on the air in the middle of the afternoon. I go, why not? He goes, no, 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 we don't do that anymore here. What, not, not for that band. I was like, what? Yeah. I go, what do you mean? What are we doing then? And he goes, well, take them in the back in the production studio and pre-record an interview, and then you can edit up a little section of it and play it in your show on the weekend if you want on your metal show. So it was like humiliating because I'm on the air live, and I'm like, I can't just have them come in and say, hey, what's up? Like, Two years earlier, more than words is freaking in power rotation. Like, got what downgraded. You, and it's like, yeah, so it's like, no, take them in the back. Like, hit, hide them. <laughs> oh, take yeah, them totally. in the back in the production studio. There's a service yeah, elevator. Exactly. Yeah. Service elevator back there. Let me give a little cautionary note to anybody out there in a band. If you go to a radio station and do an interview and you aren't put on the air live 
at the time the station's on the air, there's a pretty good chance your interview is going to be edited to 30 seconds and maybe not air anywhere ever at all. Or it might end up on their podcast or their website or whatever, because that's the move. It's like you don't want to say no to seem cruel, but if you can it, well, nobody really knows if it ever really airs. You know, be like if we were doing this right now and recording it versus being live, and then, oh, you guys leave, and I'll take a 30-second clip (laughs) tomorrow. Hey, Stephen BJ from (laughs) Trickster, we're here, and, you know, put it out. You know, so, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on but i always remember that extreme story and i was standing there and i felt so bad and i'm like no guys we're not going in that studio come back here and then we went in the back you know, where they were cutting tape and doing production i'm like you're just do this mic tell me about the record real quick <laughs> did you know did nuno have his beard at that point is that remember. the beard one but hey let's give a shout out to nuno and the extreme guys they're killer new record yeah man. i love so it. happy for them i love it they're on love tour right dudes. now they're playing it. in Jersey, actually. We're here, but they're there. I got Man. it. Uh, and those guys texted me for my birthday, which I appreciate. It was very nice. All right. So let's hear the records uh, from you guys right now. We go to the phones. We start in San Antonio, Charlie in Texas. Go ahead, Charlie. Hey, Ed, PJ, Steve. Good to talk to you guys. Um, Amen. Ed, real quick, I would love to hear you do this uh, again and focus on the concert experiences from the uh, 92 to 96 era because there's some pretty good stories there. But um, my uh, my pick today is uh, Shotgun Messiah's uh, Second Coming, which came out a month after the Nirvana album hit. It's such a great album and uh, such great guitar work, and, and, and Tim Skold is on that album. And uh, that's my pick, man. I know you got a lot of callers, so y'all have a good day, and I appreciate the time. Thanks, Charlie. Yeah, Tim Skold is still around. He just played the whiskey in L.A. last week I was there. And he was, I didn't even, he's doing his own thing, I guess. But um, Shotgun Messiah, I mean, that band never, uh, a lot of the bands we're going to talk about today had a gold platinum record before. That band never really got popular, but that record obviously got when killed. When was Heartbreak Boulevard? That was before that? That was before Probably. that, but when, when we were making here, we were living out in L.A. We were we living the rock star life. We went to see Shotgun Messiah at the Whiskey for the Heartbreak Boulevard record, man. I remember yeah, it was me, it was you, Dave Bryan from Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi was recording their record, you know, Keep the Faith at that point, too, at the same time which, that we were oh, in which LA. I lo- That's a great example. Great record. I love yeah. Keep the Faith. It's among my best, my favorite Bon Jovi records. Yep. And that record obviously was, uh, you know, John cut, cut his hair. He tried. Mm-hmm. At the, right at that time, John offered me a job working for his label. Yep. Jamco. And uh, they didn't know if they were going to even hold that band together. I remember he said to me, we're going to, we're going to, um, I'm going to St. Thomas to see if I still have a band. And when I come back, I'll let you know and we'll talk about doing this. He made me a f- offer money and everything to work for this label he was yeah. doing Jamco. Yeah. And when he came back, the whole bottom fell out on the label and he was, even a guy as big as that was kind of uh, struggling. He made that solo album, Destination Anywhere, at that mm-hmm. time too, which I loved. These days, after. these days was around that time, that Bon Jovi record. That was the next later, record, yeah. but yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. It's, it, it, the Tough point, times The point around. is it affected every, at every level uh, people took hits. Yep. Shots fired, hitting everybody. Here's Rocco in Indiana. What's up, Rocco? How you doing, Eddie? Uh, I'm sorry. I'm hard of hearing. Your guest that's sitting there with you, what's his name? Yeah, Stephen PJ. How you doing? How what's, you doing, man? How uh, are you, brother? I'm doing good. Getting ready to go to work, which I don't feel like doing, but I'm here. So <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh... 
I didn't have a whole lot of time to do this. We have a supervisor named Mark. He's a heavy metal nut. And I told him what you were doing today. And he suggested uh, enough's enough. I did a quick research. And an album that I feel was destroyed by this, by those guys, I would say the album they came out with in 93 called Animals with Human Intelligence. Mm -hmm. It seems like that album didn't do good. And I would say that album got destroyed by Nirvana. I don't know what you guys yeah, said. I, Tell me what you guys said. I, well, the second, the second Enough's Enough record was called Strength. Thank you, Rocco. It was called Strength, yes. I think. Yeah. And that that came, that came would have been pre-Nirvana. That, because the first yeah. album was, what, 89? No. no. It was like strength. 90. Strength, I think, came out in 91, like early 91. Guys, look up for me uh, what year Enough's Enough. I don't know. Oh, strength that I think came that came out, out early 92, I want to say. I could because be that could be strength. So strength, we're, we're looking a lot at the records that were right after you know yep. the the the, the ones is right after the first one and animals with human intelligence is 93 yeah so night but what you does it say what, what month? month in 91 no i don't have the month here hang tight march 26 1991 so it was <laughs> oh, before okay. yeah. but it was about they had about five six months window i don't know why enough's enough didn't they could have just got in under the wire there here's dave in maryland go ahead dave Hey guys, I got a couple. I'll hit you real fast. Uh, first one is actually came out in '97, but it was Night Rangers Neverland. It's their comeback album with original members, and it's as good, if not better, than the first three. And it just died without a trace. There was the chance. record. There was the night. There was a Night Ranger record. I don't know if it was Neverland. I thought. It, I think it was one earlier than that that I that I liked a lot around that time too. But I do remember what having was, that uh, record. What was? The other one was uh, feeding off the mojo that they put out without uh, Jack. Gary Lee Moon, mm -hmm. yeah, Gary Moon, great album, that, right? Different, yeah, thing. yeah. The other one, you know, hit you real quick is is uh, it's a little little odder, but the last uh, record of the '80s lineup of Heart called Desire Walks On. It was a much heavier album than what they had been doing, and it's really great. But same thing, this came out in '93, and you heard nothing; it just died. Yeah. The uh, thank you, Dave. The other thing that comes to mind was a, a classic story with Warrant, because Warrant made a record at that time called Doggy Dog, Dog which is way heavy, like oh, yeah. Machine Gun, Hole in My Wall, and uh, there was that story where I think Janie Lane went to the label at Columbia to uh, meet with people about setting up the record, and where there was always a big cherry pie poster behind the receptionist's desk. It had been changed to an Alice in Chains facelift poster, <laughs> and he literally saw the writing on the wall. Of that course. is, it was it was over. Despite they went with Michael Wagner and they made a real heavy record. Um, another one that comes to mind for me is there's a Saigon Kick record called Water, and uh, it's the first record where Jason Beeler actually sings all the lead vocals. But I always loved that record. I thought it was a cool record, but didn't stand a chance. Darren in Pittsburgh, go ahead, Darren. Hi Ed, thanks for taking my call. Uh, yeah. My pick is slightly before Nirvana. I want to say maybe a month or so before they, it came out, but it's L.A. Guns, Hollywood Vampires. Uh, I thought that was a great album, Over the Edge, Kiss My Love Goodbye. Does it qualify? Pardon me? Well, it came out a month before, before. Nirvana? Yeah, yeah, just right before. That's, yeah, that's, that that's all right, though, because yeah. what, how much are you going to get done in a month before the gate came down? Yeah, uh, I don't, yeah but when Nirvana came out, it didn't. It took Changed a couple the world months, yeah. Right then and there, it took a couple months, right? So, so you're so you're allowing LA Guns or not? I'm, I think I think LA Guns, yeah, I don't know. I think they. You're the not. It was uh, 
unbeknownst to Nirvana. The record, the L.A. Guns record that a lot of people tell me they love, and I don't really know it all that well, but and they say it's super heavy, too. I think it's called Vicious Circle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people say that's a great record. Mike Piazza loves that record. I just talked to Mike the other day. I, I never spent time with that record, but people swear by that record. So, um, all right. Thank you, Darren. Appreciate it. Love, hate, another band yes. that could have been huge, actually, but timing. Even though Love, Hate, I think was kind of, I, like, to me, bands like Love, Hate and Saigon Kick were kind of like bridge bands. Yes. They had elements of what, of the 80s stuff, but they also were almost ahead of their time in some of the things they were doing yep. with what was coming. But it didn't matter. It didn't matter what you looked like. It, it just like the gate. I always joke with you guys, like you were wearing flannel in the "Give It to Me Good" video. Mm-hmm. You were fashion-wise, you were you were so, trendsetters. Well, Milo, you know we were the band. The, the grunge bands ripped you guys, totally, tripped up tricksters. Look, look at Nirvana's video. You know, smells like Teen Spirit. They were in a gymnasium with people jumping around. We were in a garage. Yeah, with, it's like yeah. I always say: all those bands from Seattle took our flannels and hung us with them. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Here's Johnny Mac in uh, Johnny. Uh, uh, Johnny, where are you at? Johnny, where, where are you calling? Uh, Tennessee. Go ahead, Johnny. Uh, I'm calling from Big Sandy, Tennessee. Welcome to the show. What's your, right. what's your, what's your, uh, what are we calling this post, post uh, Nirvana wall or whatever? What's your record? Yeah, well, I'll tell you, um, uh, you know, I was 14 about the time that uh, this came out, that here came out, and I was kind of oblivious to the kind of music that I like going on the downswing because I was just reading Metal Edge and hit Prater and shit, and they still had full-page ads for the, you know, for here and Dog Eat Dog and all that, so I was like, business was usual, you know. But anyway, so I remember the first time I heard Teen Spirit on the radio, and I couldn't stand it. I thought it was terrible. I had to go had to go listen to a Motley Crue to cleanse my ears, you know. <laughs> but uh, but after that, uh, I got I got here on cassette because I was going to the Kiss concert uh, on the Revenge Tour in Nashville, and I uh, did my homework, so the first band I ever saw play a rock band in concert was Trickster, and because uh, nice. they kicked that show off in, at the Municipal Auditorium there, and man, yep. it was awesome. And I've been hooked on concerts ever since. But so anyway, uh, here definitely one of my favorite albums that uh, fits Love the topic it. we're talking about. Rock and Horse and What It Takes were my two favorite tunes off of it. Nice. Oh, but also, you know, there you I go. Like about dog eat dog a lot, but uh, nobody ever mentions Warrant Alterphobic. And uh, Belly to Belly that came out after them, and they were great, too, oh, yeah. man. They have some some mm-hmm. other baddest ass songs were on those records, you know? Yeah. And, uh, of course. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Johnny. Thanks for calling thanks, in. Thanks, Johnny. Uh, of course, when it comes to this topic, a record that is, gets a ton of uh, attention from a lot of fans is the Karabi Motley Crue record, mm-hmm. which was, what, 94, I think. Mm-hmm. And you know, John always jokes, yeah, I'm the guy who ruined Motley Crue. But you could make the case that even if the if Vince was still there, the same fate would have been for that record at that time for Motley Crue. But people love, like that Karabi record has had as all new stature now. People love oh, that record. We love that, man. I had just built my studio when that record came out. And we were working on new, we were doing the throwing rock stuff. We were still doing, we were doing the trickster undercovers. Mm-hmm. And I remember putting that on Hooligans Holiday that first time I heard that in my studio, cranking up. Still to this day, I still think it's one of the best Motley records 
they ever made. You yeah. know, but Paul, you're right. You're right. Even if Motley was yeah, original, it wouldn't matter. It, it wouldn't have mattered. And you know what? They made a great fucking record. Yeah, love that record. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't have mattered though. That's the sad part. Yeah. Here's Brian in Minnesota. Go ahead, Brian. Hey guys, uh, thanks for having me on here. Hey, a couple for you um, that uh, might jog your memory. Uh, Scorpions, Face the Heat came out in, in 1993 and just did nothing compared to the previous album, Crazy World, which of course had their biggest song. Winter Change. Right. And uh, the other one uh, that came to my mind was Great White, Psycho City, possibly their best album. And again, that one just died. So many good songs mm. on that one. Yep, two good ones there. I also just came to mind was uh, Slaughter Wildlife because mm-hmm. that, uh, thank you, Brian. I remember that. Uh, that had some great songs on it. That was following up the huge debut record and all that. And I'm pretty sure Wildlife probably hit like 91 ish and same deal. It's, it's I mean, still got a little bit of steam. A little from bit, it, but little yeah. bit. not much. Yeah. My favorite record still to this day from, you know, again, the post Nirvana, post Nirvana and all of us getting wiped out. Winger pull. Pull, yeah. Winger, that Winger record, that's when they they were yep. working with Mike Shipley yep. from Def Leppard. Yep. I still use that record as some of the songs, Blind Revolution, Mad, yep. Junkyard Dog, as reference tracks when I mix songs in my studio. Great. Isn't down, on, down Incognito's down on there? Down Incognito. Right? He still does that, that actually, yeah. live. That is a great record. But that record, if you haven't heard that, you rockers out there, give what it a listen. What uh, about the Bullet Boys Freak Show? I don't know that record, when, but that would certainly qualify. That, that had, that had cool. uh, uh, THC on it. Yeah, THC. That, was that was a badass. There yeah. was some cool that shit on that record. That yeah, really I know had. that song. I don't know that record top to bottom. Yeah. What about the... Um, what year was this? No, it would have been earlier. The second Faster Pussycat would have been way earlier because the first album was 87. No, they, they came out with another one around maybe 90... Because there's some, some of these records got so buried... I didn't even know they came out. Yeah, like, you don't was... even know they exist. Yep. I'll go into like Amoeba or something in LA and flip through the used bins and like, wait a minute, they put out a record in 93? Like, it was so buried, you didn't even know. <laughs> it's uh, it's nuts. Here's Brent in Idaho joining us now. Hey, Brent. Hey, Eddie. Thank you for taking my call. Hey, Thank man, you, man. Speak, speaking of Winger, dude, Winger not only got destroyed by Beavis and Butthead, but then, then they got destroyed again. Again by Nirvana, those poor guys. I love them. Metallica. And Metallica. And Metallica, really. Rue, by the way, I don't know if people know this or picked up on this, but this has come up a couple times in the press, and Kip actually first ever said this right on this show, and I was really surprised when he said it because it kind of flew under the radar, surprisingly, a little bit at that time. But he has since revealed this. James Hetfield has reached out recently mm. to Kip and apologized to him for the Nothing Else Matters video and throwing yeah. the dart, which Kip said to me, it's nice that James is calling me. He goes, but Lars was the one throwing the dart. Yeah. But uh, still, James, you know, James is a guy that's, you know, in recovery and, yeah. and, and whatever. And I guess part of that process is kind of like making amends with people. But I Make guess amends. that bothered him. Yeah, and he went and uh, reached out and is is now in touch and has talked to Kip on more than one occasion. And I told Kip what they should have done is when Metallica did that record where they had 50 artists or whatever cover their songs, they should have had Kip cover that a Metallica song. That would have been song. great, yeah. like, Because he could do yeah, orchestration, yeah. like nothing oh, else yeah. matters totally. or something. He would have killed it. And it would have been such a cool button on that story to put an end to it. Like, here's Winger on a Metallica covers record sanctioned by Metallica. But Cla- 
class act for James to reach out to Kip about that yep. decades later. Uh, go ahead, Brent. What else did you want to say? Okay, so um, so I got two albums for you. The, the, number one, the first Saigon Kick record, nineteen ninety one. That should have been that should have done a lot better, and I, I think maybe that got curtailed by Nirvana. Their, their was second that album, The Lizard. Well, hold on, wait, wait a minute. Was that ninety one the debut? It, no, I think yeah, it was for, yeah. First Saigon Kick was record earlier. was ninety one. Look that up for us, guys. Give me the date on that oh. if you can. The self titled Saigon Kick, and then I The think, Lizard uh, was. The Lizard September was the 91. second record, but The Lizard had a number was one the hit lizard. on it. The Lizard did a lot better. The Lizard did a lot better, but that was because of Love is on the Way. 92. Right. That was 92. Yep. Yeah, we're going to get the dates straight on this. Love Saigon kick. So February oh, yeah. 91, Brent, February 91 is the release date on the debut Saigon kick record. Yep. So that gets out. Doesn't qualify. That, right, because that's out six months yeah. before Nevermind, at least. So that got in. That did okay. I remember what you say was on that, and um, I love that record. And then The Lizard comes out in June of 92, so that is post The Wall. But against all odds, Saigon Kick has a huge hit with an acoustic ballad. So there's And t- to touch on this, there's a theme here with Saigon Kick, a band that really that record wouldn't have seen the light of day it would have got squashed like everyone else's but it had the ballad hit just like extreme had the ballad hit just like mr big had the ballad hit yep. and the and the scorpions had the ballad hit they all made it through that you know tumultuous time but with- extreme and all those guys that was before nirvana so well, porno graffiti yeah, was before was right right, at, was, right at when mr right, well, big yeah. was all before that the, was 91. the oddity is saigon yes, no, kick. But saigon lean, kick. lean into it came out early 91 but that's but uh um to be with you didn't hit till well after yeah late by the way really. speaking of mr big for there's people to this day that don't know but Mr. Big made two records in the mid-90s with Richie Kotzen on guitar instead of Paul Gilbert because Paul left the band. And they're both really good records, oh, but completely off the ra- Even though they came out on Atlantic in the U.S., completely off the radar here because of what was happening at the time. But there, there's those records. And uh, speaking of Kotzen, there's a lot of people that love the Poison album that he did, Native, Native Tongue. Tongue. I was going to say that. And that was probably like, what, 93 or something. Yeah. That had Stand on it yep. and all that, which uh, I thought was amazing, mm-hmm. you know? So that's another one that you could throw out there. That was one of the mistakes that I think with the trickster that I that if I have one thing that I could change about that, and I know there's not many things I could change about the here record, the marketing of it, we should have remember how Peter Mensch always said, never go down with the ballad. We should have released we have a great ballad on the here record called As the Candle Burns. We should have released that and went to CHR radio, not even try to compete Forget rock, at yeah. rock Follow radio. the theme, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, <laughs> but, that that could have been an interesting It was supposed there. to be the third single but we mca cut the money off jeff and palm springs go ahead jeff hey eddie pj steve can you hear me okay yep we, yeah, got, buddy, you. we got you what's up brother hey thanks thank you thanks for taking my call so let me just say that trickster should have been huge um that album here that album is so good uh the song rockin horse i put it on every playlist i make to this day awesome. it just that song, that song resonated with me. You guys should. We're gonna. Been. This show is gonna make here go platinum today. Yes. We're gonna rechart here forty years later. People, or whatever it is. people are finally gonna hear here. 
Well, that's what I say well, during the, the acoustic show. I say that, you know, Trickster here is our dark side of the moon, our Sergeant Pepper. Nobody knows that, though. <laughs> it's just we in yeah. our minds. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm one saying? of those people, though, that, that I was a fan from day one. I, you know, I bought that album from day one. You know, and I'm going to say this. Nirvana sucks. They really do. <laughs> you know, back when, back when Nirvana first came out, I just thought my, to myself, Kurt Cobain, he's like the worst singer I've ever heard. And I try to listen to their music. I try to listen to their music now and see if it's any good to me, if it changes the way I feel. And it sounds dated to me. It really, really does. That's just my opinion. You know, I think only well, two you're entitled really to your opinion. I think that there were only really two good bands that came out from that whole Seattle scene, Soundgarden and Alice in Chains, you know, and, and that's it for me. You know, so as far as my list goes, I'll run it down really fast for you. Um, Cinderella, Still Climbing. Fast yeah. Pussycat Whipped. Yep. Um, Living we Colors, got a date on Whipped. We just, just Let me jump in real quick there. Whipped was 92, so that was after. But the follow-up to the first album was Wake Me When It's Over, which had House of Pain on it. Mm -hmm. So that was in yeah, well yeah. under the gate, yeah, but yeah. Whipped was the record after the gate, the third record. Living Color, Stain. I think they're touring yeah. on, on the anniversary of that right now. That album is so good. Oh, wow. Motley Heavy Crue, record. of course. Mo Mo Motley Crue, the John Karabi record. Poison, Native Tongue. I'm, that's the only Poison record I can listen to without skipping any songs. Skid Row, Subhuman Race. That was the best record they ever made. Rat, Rat made a self-titled record that came out in 1999. Uh, Tesla, Bust a Nut. Oh, my God. Bust a Nut. Oh, yeah. I love that record. Yeah. Uh, Terry Thomas Wasp. produced it. Yeah, Sounds right. amazing. Yeah. Wasp made probably the heaviest record they've ever made called Kill Fuck Guy. It got buried in the 90s. Um, I remember Wasp. that. KFD was on the cover. It said KFD. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Kill Warrant, Fuck Dogs. Warrant with dog, dog Eat Dog from Warrant. I got to see Janie before he passed away. That was so awesome. You know what I mean? And, you know, I'm proud to say that I was into all of these albums from day one. You know, and I went to some shows in the 90s where the places were half empty and it was really, really sad. So I'm glad you guys are still around and still doing what you do. Everybody listening, check out everything Trickster did after the first record because you guys are so talented and should be. You guys should be in the same conversation as Def Leppard. You really should. I'm just saying. You know, people <laughs> well, need to know Thank about you, it. man. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, man. That they, means a lot. They they should be, but they don't travel that way. I had to pick them both up at the airport yesterday and jam them in the back <laughs> of my Toyota best. Corolla. Yep. So that's how they roll. <laughs> Def Leppard's hey, in man, their private plane. What did we say before? We're just happy to be here. 33 <laughs> years later, we're still getting to fly all around the world and rock and roll. We're in Vegas playing Trickster yeah, songs. Yeah, of course, man. We won the game. always have the great attitude about it, which yep. is awesome. Uh, let's say hi to... Uh, this is um, this is our buddy Tim in Florida. All right. Hey is guys, how you doing? Hey Tim, yeah, what's up, Tim? Tim? Uh, AKA Think of Family. I knew it. I knew it <laughs> was coming. I knew it was coming. By the way, Tim, <laughs> these guys at dinner last night showed me your birthday video that you made for me, which I had not seen. It is brilliant, and I thank you. <laughs> Well, I sent oh, him the one welcome, that you uh, sent me. I sent him. I showed him the new one that you sent yesterday. <laughs> the impression, oh, yeah, the impersonation that. is mind blowing, dude. It was, Whoever did that, yes. I've heard a lot of Paul that, Stanley impressions. I have never heard one that, that good. Yep. That's AI. That's AI. That's nobody. That's what I thought. Is it I, really? That's what. Yeah, that's what AI can do. I, I, I'm staying away from that stuff. That's dangerous. 
But, uh, Man, I mean, that is just scary to to know what how it, much impersonation and misrepresentation can be done out there in technology today. It, That's you got to be so careful. Now, was the first you one? See, read, believe. Was that first one that you sent me? The one I, I, I texted him your birthday message. That was you, right? Yeah, that's Thinkin' Stanley. Yeah, that's that, that's, that's, that's okay. Thinkin' Stanley. That's my voice. That, <laughs> right, that's the one I texted you on your birthday. This one was his buddy who did the, uh, that was the AI one. Yeah. Oh, so so, so Tim, what's your record here? Um, I'm gonna go with uh, Bang Tango second album, Dancing on Coals. All right. Yeah. Don't know that record. I rem- I was not. I don't know that that band beyond like the the single or two from that first record. But that was a band you well, could easily first... make a case was kind of ahead of its time too, because they were kind of like that yeah. groove, faith no moreish sort of vibe at times. Kind of like that band White Bunk Trash. Kind yeah, of yeah, thing, with the know? horns, apple pie. They had that right. hit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. All right, Tim. Hey, and, and hey, before I get off here, I got to tell your listeners. Hey. Go check out Trickster Acoustic. It is awesome. These guys sing so freaking great together. It blew my mind. I did not realize how well these guys sang live, harmonizing together, just the two of them. It, it, it's, it's phenomenal, seriously. But what would happen Go if you found out that out. it was a laptop and it's a track and <laughs> they're not even really doing it? I watched them working on the no, tracks before no. they got here. They're tuning them up for tonight. Oh, man. <laughs> You know it. Well, thank you, Tim. Yeah, Tim Thanks, was out on our show a couple weeks ago down in See Florida. You, we love you, bro. Rock oh, and roll. Man. Thank you, pal. Real musicians actually playing and singing real instruments oh, into real mics. What a what a what a friggin' concept. In the original keys. Yeah, it's a, what a concept. Here's Dave in Buffalo. Go ahead, Dave. Hey, uh, hey, PJ. Hey, Steve. Hey, buddy. Hey, um, how are I you? Got two. I got two. Uh, Steve. Uh, I know Steve a little bit. We've done some work together recently, but uh, one is. The Trickster album, for sure, here, definitely my favorite. Um, a great album. The other one, though, maybe a transition band, I'm not sure how you consider, is the first Brother Kane album, which came out around 92 or 93. Had got no shame on it. I thought that was a great one, and it should have been better. And Full Shine. Was Ann Full Shine on on the first one, too? Yep. I think. I think so. Was that, that was a, You said that was their first record? Yep. The yeah. debut yeah, had got debut. no shame. Like, that was, you're right. I think that I consider that a transition band. I don't, I don't. It's kind of more of a blues rock. Because, blues you know what, we're band. kind of talking about bands that were out before the wall and then still trying to survive after the wall fell. Brother Kane came out after the wall. I think, yeah, right? yeah. the debut the debut Brother Kane record, uh, you guys look. Uh, let me know a date on that if you can, but actually two of the guys, Damon and one of the other original guys, is doing Brother Kane again. Yeah. They're going yeah. out playing. Damon's in Skinnerd now. Yes. And and they Skinnerd has downtime, and Damon's going to go out and do a run of yep. dates. And Buck Johnson. Buck Johnson Buck plays Keys. From, yep, Buck is in it. And, Tony and Higby's in it. Love Jared yeah, Pope. Tony. It's mm-hmm. incredible. Two of the Kiefer guys. Yeah, it's a great band. We love that Brother Kane record. Brother Kane came out in 93. Yeah. Yep. May of 93, Dave. Should it, Yeah, should have been bigger, though, for sure. Yeah. But I mean, it it came out. It, uh, it was thanks, big. Dave. It, it, it was, came yeah. out at. I mean, it was a pretty it was big record. It was well after the fact. I mean, they could they had the benefit of being looked at as a new band without a history. The problem was your history worked against you. So it, and they were they blurred the line because they were a pretty organic, just regular rock band. Right. It wasn't a grunge band. It yeah. was one of the first waves of just rock and roll, not shoegazer. It wasn't you know right. just a fun rock band, right? 
Um, we'll get one more and then we'll take a break and then we'll continue. What we're doing is talking about records from essentially 80s bands that the gate known as Nirvana Nevermind came down. The scene changed. Everybody got wiped away. But some still made really good records that were uh, sadly really, really overlooked and buried. Mark in Texas is going to call in with his record or his thoughts. Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, hey, Eddie. And uh, by the way, Steve, I am going to check out those guitars. That sounds very interesting. Um, all right. Uh, 97 and 98, uh, one guy already said the uh, feeding off the mojo on the Night Ranger. I also will add, they did a, they did an album in 97 called Neverland, and they did one in 98 called Seven, which were the last two albums with the original lineup. And they got nowhere. Uh, very unheard of. I think they did a live album off of one of those albums in Japan, <laughs> like you were saying yesterday, Eddie. Everybody does Japan or alternate songs in Japan. But, we did. Uh, those, two, <laughs> those two Night Ranger albums didn't get any love at all. And I heard one of the guys say about his favorite uh, two 90s bands. I'd also add, uh, I think mine had to be STP maybe, but uh, uh, they were just fantastic. And a little asterisk for a band, uh, not hard rock, but the Tubes came out in the mid-90s with, a ba- with an album called Genius of America that's very wow. good and didn't get anything anyway mm. thank you guys great show great show eddie great 40th thank and, you mark uh, keep, keep it rocking thank you man appreciate your thoughts thanks man thanks hey everyone it's ted from consumer cellular the guy in the orange sweater and this is your wake-up call If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with SiriusXM's Listen Next program, presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with SiriusXM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Issa as host Issa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future.
Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Interesting times here talking about uh, not a great time for 80s rock bands, but kind of uh, going down memory lane and remembering some of these stories and some of these great records. You know, one that didn't come up is a band that Steve Brown, as we talked about earlier, has worked with recently as a sub-guitar player in, in Def Leppard, and that's the slang record. I yeah. like the slang record a Love lot. It. Great. And that record didn't stand a chance. And that was... So when when this all went on, you had bands that approached it two different ways. Stay in the lane and do what everybody knows them for sound-wise or try to adapt to what was going on at the time. Mm-hmm. And that's what Def Leppard did. They definitely got a little darker and less produced and stripped down with slang. But I thought it was a cool record and I liked it. When bands tried doing that, a lot of people thought it was like desperate and, oh, that's not their sound. But in some cases it worked. I liked the slang record. I remember hearing Work It Out which is Vivian Campbell's first record with the band and the first song he wrote with the he band. He wrote was that song, out. which was a bold move for them. And that was the lead single. Love that song. And the song. video was cool. And I, I, But as they'll tell you, they couldn't get... That's a band as big as Def Leppard. Didn't matter. Couldn't get arrested with it. Kiss tried to go grunge, obviously, with Carnival yeah. of Souls, which didn't work, didn't work and <clears throat> led to the reunion. But still, there's elements of that record I actually kind of like. Here is um, Mitch, who's in Missouri. Go ahead, Mitch. Hey, Eddie. Hey, Mitch, go me? ahead, man. You're on the air. Yep, we hey. got you. Hey. Okay. Yeah, by the way, a little off subject, but um, New Audio Machine and Human Error are two great trickster albums that have came out in like the last 10 years that people ought to check out. They're way Thank after you. the wall. Yeah, well, yes. But still, oh, yeah. they yeah. could still suffer but, from the wall just from preconceived <laughs> thoughts right. and people not listening to yeah. them objectively. There so was that's resid- a good point. residual walls. Residual, the wall still, yeah. trust <laughs> me, the wall still yeah. exists. For people that don't, yeah. we're talking yeah. about this like the wall is long crumbled. There is still a lot of bias if we're being honest against a lot of these bands. You're all able to work and tour and play again, but there's still stuff that, like, you know, you put out a new record from what many of these bands and you send it to radio. It's like, oh, we'll put it in the weekend, you know, metal show or something. But yeah. we don't even send it to radio. We, yeah, the, bands yeah. like us nowadays, we make <laughs> exactly. records because it's what we do. We have to write and record music. That's what we do. But we have no visions of grandeur. We, there's no talk of radio campaigns. And, and, and know, look, no. I'm, I'm going to say right now, I'm. I mean, I'm having done this my whole life. I'm very, very proud of the fact, and I and I can say this in full certainty, that during this whole thing going on, when it went through the 90s and all of these bands could not get arrested, I still was there playing and interviewing them. And I did not... We're not, living proof. Yeah, And I, I still interviewed Soundgarden and Alice in Chains, sure. the new bands at the time, but I still would interview Trickster yeah. or Extreme or whatever or mm-hmm. Rat. It didn't matter. I... I didn't. I didn't fall into that trap, and uh, it's not because even the industry got killed by it. If you were an A and R guy that signed bands like that, you couldn't get work. If you were a photographer known for shooting that kind of stuff, it yep. was across the board. Yeah. Anyway, Mitch, um, go ahead with your bands. Yeah. Okay. Well, mine. They actually had three albums that were great albums. Uh, King's X, but they had. Uh, their self-titled album and ear candy, but my favorite one of the bunch that I think should have been huge was Dogman because it was easy, I love Dogman, the uh, heaviest and raw. Brendan O'Brien, yeah, it was, was the first. It was the King's first X. time King's X worked with a different right? producer and Brendan O'Brien. Yep, yep, it was just a great album, and 
Yeah, and by the way, I, I called you the other day on bats. It should have been user, user. Um, they were they've been together since 1980, and the first time I got to see them was 1984, long before they made it. But they have, they're still killer live. They're just amazing. Who are you talking about, Kings X? Kings X, yeah. Oh yeah, well yeah, you know I there's just, a doc. I just saw there, Well, you're from Missouri. That's where their roots really originally yep. are, as as you probably know, but. Yep. Oh, yeah. All right, Mitch, thank you. Up, oh, Sorry, I didn't mean to clip you, but we got to move on. Uh, by the way, there is a King's X documentary coming out, which I was actually interviewed for. I saw a rough cut of it, so looking forward to that awesome. coming out and being finished. Here is Steve in Cleveland. Go ahead, Steve. Hey, Eddie, thanks for taking my call. Hi, PJ. Steve, how are you guys? Hey, man, how you doing? What's up, Steve? Hey, since I've been on hold here, I think most of my albums have been named. Um, a couple that stand out that I don't think I've heard yet is uh, – uh, three sides by uh, Extreme and waiting for the punchline. I thought both of those were well. Punchline, I said good. earlier. I don't. I think three sides was pre Nirvana, wasn't it, or was it ninety two? No, was after. It was ninety two. It was okay. So three sides, Extreme got some play with Rest in Peace on that record. They mm-hmm. did kind of okay, uh, not nearly what the previous record was, but three sides was a really like exp- they, they went on some trips on that record. There's some really jammy epic stuff on there. Um, but that that's an interesting case in that they actually got a little love with Rest in Peace after Nirvana, but by the time Punchline hit, it was way over. I think they were, yeah, they got they came off of that huge success of More Than Words. It was still going it was on. Still, More Than Words still was still on that. the charts, I think, when so they released they got, that record. They grandfathered in yeah. for that, but for a brief didn't last, moment. Didn't yeah. last right. long. Right, right. And Bust a Nut and Native Tongue are still two albums that I listen to regularly um i think those are just you know well overlooked uh gems by those bands uh interestingly enough um i saw a tesla here locally a couple weeks ago and uh i got to speak to uh to frank and i said is uh, uh shine away gonna ever make the set list again or was that just a uh eddie trunk special and he <laughs> said that uh it's probably gonna make it back when they do their vegas residency along with some others so hopefully they'll pull a few more off of that album as well yeah, I will get on them, Steve, about getting that back in. They did that for me, which was super nice, but yep. uh, that should be in there the whole time. And I told them it went over pretty well, too. They should they should put that in there, and they will they will mix it up when they play here in Vegas. And I, I miss them. Thank you, Steve. I miss them when they did the first run, but I will definitely be catching some of this run coming up, uh, which is soon, like in a month and a half or two months or something like that. But, yeah, Shine Away, try so hard on Bust a Nut is a great one. It's super tasty Tommy Skeo guitar stuff in that. It's so good. And production-wise, I love the sound of it. They had never worked with Terry Thomas before who did that record. Here's Oren in New Jersey. Hi, Oren. Hey, Eddie and all. Uh, first of all, great memory. Sing Trickster, open for Kiss. My brother Adam actually caught your drumstick, which was amazing. Uh, so thanks for that. Uh, for the records, I want to put another vote in for Still Climbing by Cinderella. And I, I do also want to call out the two by Dokken, um, Dysfunctional and Shadow Life. I know these are not usually their best-reviewed CDs, but I thought they were good. And with Shadow Life, they went in some interesting directions trying to uh, stay relevant. Um, and lastly, I want to ask you to listen to a great song by the Smithereens called Sick of Seattle, because I think we were all sick of Seattle. <laughs> great title. Yeah. Well, the other thing about it, and thank you, Oren, is there, on, on Extreme's album, Waiting for the Punchline, the single was a song called Hip Today. And the chorus was, 
the chorus of the song is, you'll be gone tomorrow, you'll be gone tomorrow, you're just hip today, which, you know, I always took as a statement about what they were up against, you know, with a statement on those bands, you Mm -hmm. know, that all of a sudden they were so extreme, so uncool, but everyone's saying these other bands are cool. And the message was, well, they're hip today, but it's not going to so much last. But I remember that being the single at that time, which ties into another thing like, you you got like a lot of fans were angry when the Nirvana thing happened because their music was immediately told it was the music they grew up with the last 10 years was not, not cool, not hip, whatever. But bands handled it in different ways. Some of them were accepting of the new sound coming in and interested in it and kind of on board with it. Some of it were like some bands were understandably pissed off and like to, had resentment towards it. Where did you guys land on it when you saw what was happening and you saw it was basically going to destroy your careers and you made a great record that didn't stand a chance because of it? Were you in some ways angry? I Like I've touched on before, I think because we had the benefit of being so young still when, you know, when the roller coaster stopped, we came out of it at still a young age. We were still very much, as we are still now, full of piss and vinegar that we were like, all right, well, let's it's only going to stop us briefly, you know, but we're going to do other things. And like I said, I mean, Steve and I continued to put bands together, write and record. And, you know, I think everything happens for a reason. And we always had a good outlook on things and it made us better musicians, better songwriters, better producers, better everything. And, Did you uh, think about making a trickster grunge record? Not at all. No, no. it was, it was no. very, um, 93 when I bought my house and built my studio, um, was when we knew and we did the undercovers record, which we'll talk right. we talk a lot about in the in the um, in the acoustic show. It was a time where we knew the end was near. I definitely did because I had gotten so into singing, being more of a lead singer. And I wrote this. I was writing these songs at that point that were definitely not going to be trickster. And I had this plan that it was like. I'm going forward. PJ's going to be with me, and we're going to go forward with this. And that was the Throne Rocks band, which I remember you coming out to see. Remember you brought that guy from Geffen Records to see us, Benji Gordon. And yeah, we, yeah, were, yeah. we were young enough to where we were going to reinvent ourselves. We weren't going to continue doing this. We were so blessed with our career and to be a part of what I consider the greatest era of rock music ever created, the greatest times of our lives. And we're in the history books because of it. You know, we have no, and at that time, we were just so young and we were going, we're musicians. We weren't rock but stars. But you know as, better, as, be, as well as anybody that there were, yes, you could do the attempt the reinvention thing, but the minute an A&R guy sniffed out, oh, wait a minute, that's one or two of the guys from Trickster? Forget it. So it happened, and as we were there making... Skid some- Row. Skid Row became a band called Ozone, Ozone Monday. Monday. We were at their with showcase. With a different singer and yeah. made demos that were really good they and opened great. shows for, I think, Kiss they under did- that name. Yep. And, and and it was great stuff, but everyone quickly realized that's all Skid Row with a different singer. Well, we, we did just that, too. I mean, we got so close with some of these bands that we started. We almost got signed to Sony. We almost got signed to Columbia, I think. I yep, mean, we had it was all. we were there. We we kept knocking and we got so close until they found out who it was and it just wasn't it's so it was ridiculous to guys. think about, that but was, it's true. That was always, oh, man. I remember one guy saying... 
I can't sign the two guys from Trickster. Right. Yeah. I was like, you motherfucker. <laughs> said, listen to the music. Throwing rocks, soaked, 40-foot Ringo. 40-foot Ringo was the closest that we got. And it was, man, we still had that cloud over our head. And then at that point, it was like a couple years later, where I just threw in the towel. I said, fuck this. We're putting Trickster back together. We're going back well, out exactly and having fun. exactly what Skids did and yeah. everybody else. It's like, well, go where your bread is buttered and go do it. Yeah. But there were other people that went in like that went under the radar and tried to bead somebody and almost like be incognito. Like Jason Beeler had some band after Saigon kick. I'm trying to remember supersonic or yeah. su- super something that put out a record. That was really cool. Like there was some of that going on too, where it's like, isn't that the guy from like Butch Walker Butch, of becomes course. marvelous three was well, South gang. South basically gang. all becomes yeah. marvelous. Love three. that band. And they're doing stuff again now. Marvelous yeah. three, but that was the other. The, and I think it was, I think Marvelous 3 was everybody from South Gang except like one person, the yeah, singer yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they did get some. I mean, so it's it's really it's really interesting when you look at how everybody handled this whole period. Super Transatlantic. Thank you, Joel. Uh, Adam in Wisconsin. Go ahead, Adam. Oh, hi, Eddie. Hi, PJ. Steve. And nice to talk hey, to buddy. you. Uh, hey, PJ, man. I saw, I saw you guy, I saw you with Fozzie. Um, when about three months ago back in Green Bay when you did that gig with Ugly Kid Joe. It was a great Oh event. yeah. If you guys ever need a good, you know, venue to go to, you know, because a lot of bands don't come north of Milwaukee, you know, the Epic Event Center is a great venue to go to. Oh, it's the best. Uh, we've all been oh, there. That's yeah. a great venue. Green oh, Bay. Yeah. Hanson uh, Ryan. So, Ryan, uh, yeah. My, my, my subject uh, band today could, could kind of also fall into bands that should have been huge. And I could go out a ton of different directions, you know, albums I like, you know, Winger, White Line had a cool record in 92 with Main Attraction. Main Attraction. But, that's a good one. Yeah, but, that's that's but, maybe um, that uh, Richie Zito did that record. That's a great sounding record, too. Yeah, oh, yeah. Final I, I White Line album. Version. Yeah, I love that version of uh, Broken Heart on there. I love it more than the original. There, there's a song, Adam, I wor- I, I've, as most people know, I have huge history with those guys. And actually, at that time... I was working for their management company when that third record, uh, technically fourth record, came yeah. out. A main attraction. Yeah. Is Radar Love on the, that? The, no, mm-hmm. it's on the previous no, that one. Was, but uh, big game, big game. Right, but what one. is what is on um, main attraction is a song that, in my opinion, should have been the biggest hit White Lion ever had, called "Love Don't Come Easy," which is like a hook on top of hook and phenomenal song. And yeah, of and course, it that, because uh, it came out on that dead, you know, couldn't, could yeah. nothing happen. Yeah, and, and then of course, the, Greg and James left. They went out on the road. They played to no people. They had substitute bass and drums, and then the whole thing ended. I'm sorry, Adam. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, well, I was I was kind of cutting in there too, uh, but the band I wanted to spotlight today is the Almighty, which includes uh, Ricky, Ricky Warwick. Ricky Warwick been on your band a bunch of times, and. They never really made much of an impact in America that I know of. I know they toured a lot in England and Europe, and they were, you can see them on like the MTV special for uh, the download, not download, uh, Monsters of Rock in 92 or 93 with Wasp and Slayer, and they worked with all of them. But they had a record in 1996, I want to believe, and it's called Crank, and I would put that right with Subhuman Race, where it's so heavy and it's just it hits the spot anytime you're doing yard work or anything, you know, heavy, you know, that you need something to pump you up. There's a song on there that I listen to at least once a week called uh, Jonestown mind that I just, I love that song so much. It's heavy. It's punky. 
it's in your face. But their first couple records were a little more in the cult Guns N' Roses vein, but they're fantastic records. Blood yeah, Fire no, I and Soul yeah, Destruction. I, Yep, Adam, got to go. Thank you. I think when you're talking about a band like the Almighty, it's a little bit of a different thing, though, because they didn't have pre-success. You know, they didn't have success before Nirvana. They didn't have success at all in America. So that really just falls into the what we usually do with bands that should have been huge. I don't think it really fits what we're talking about here. Not a qualifier. Yeah. Andrew in <laughs> Philadelphia. Go ahead, Andrew. Hey, thanks for taking my call, Eddie. Sure, um, man. Go so ahead. I got... I just got a handful here. Uh, I want to shout out The Crimson Idol by Wasp. I think that's probably their best album. That came out in 92. And also uh, the follow-up to the first uh, Vane album, uh, Vane, All Those Strangers, and Move yep. On It, uh, from 91 and 93. Really good continuation of, if you like that first Vane record, I mean, these next two are really solid. I remember, I love Vane. And I love the No Respect album. And I was working at the label. I was working still at Megaforce. And I remember we had Anthrax who were distributed by Island and on Island at the time, which is the label that had signed Vane. And I remember going up to Island Records for something for Anthrax. And thank you, Andrew. Island Records at the time was at the on top of Tower, at the floor above Tower Records, 4th and Broadway in New York City. I remember going up there and somebody in marketing or whatever knew I was a fan of that first Vane record and gave me an advanced cassette of the second record with the Island logo and all that, all them strangers and listened to it in the car going back to Jersey. I'm like, wow, this is killer. Can't wait for this to come out. It's not coming out. It's not coming out. So finally called the guy who gave me the advanced cassette like a few months later. I go, hey, what's the release date on that record? That second Vane record you gave me the advance on. And he goes, there is no release date. We dropped them. <laughs> and I go, you what? I go, what do you mean? You give me an advanced cassette. The record's done. He goes, no, we dropped them. We're not putting the record out. I go, why? He goes, stop the bleeding. Nobody's going to buy a vein record in 92 right. or whatever it was. I was like, wow. So that was records that were done that the label just bailed on and, uh, you know, just ate it because they just knew they didn't stand a chance. Joey in Illinois. Go ahead, Joey. Hi, guys. Joey. Joey. So I don't really have a record. I just wanted to say hi to Stephen PJ. Um, hi. Hi. I've been um, going around, touring around with you guys, helping carry along gear and stuff. Ah, uh, um, Joey. <laughs> Is this yeah, somebody you know? Yeah, yeah. Are you, up, are you on Joey? the road? Are you here? Uh, We're getting punked. We're getting punked right now. <laughs> oh, is this what's going on? Yeah. We'll see you guys later, McKenzie Where's Uncle ben? and Joey. Yeah. All right, Joey. I hate to run, but and I, I just we love we got you, a kid. billion calls here, so I can't uh, spend too much time. But thank you, and enjoy carrying their gear. Mm-hmm. Here's Don in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. Hey, Go ahead, Don. <laughs> thank you, Don. Yeah, great to hear the guys from Trickster again. I miss those MTV days. They had some great videos, great albums, and. Oh, they were cute. They were cute boys, weren't they? They were cute Jersey boys on their bikes, (laughs) riding their dirt bikes and playing in the garage in their flannel. PJ had the hair flipped down at the time. Nailed it. Had it nailed. Memorable. I I I kind of followed the trend too and started getting into the the plaid after seeing those videos. But uh, I was going to say that you know I I kind of missed the way. 
the 80s disappeared and the and the grunge came in. I was never a Nirvana fan, but I really embraced Alice in Chains and Soundgarden. I think the Well, let me let me ask you ju- Don, let, Don, let me jump in real quick cuz you will be able to give us a different perspective on this. So you being bet. that you are from Canada, I am. In America, the, the again, it was literally we're calling this the Great Wall of Nirvana thanks to my friend Izzy, that's his title for it, but it, we we um you know that that gate came down and it was swift and it was abrupt and it was brutal and it just annihilated everything before what, what did that happen in Canada what was the impact of nirvana in canada nirvana it it yeah it it kind of changed the music just not to such a greater extent uh we had bands on the horizon like nickelback started coming on the scene Still Brian Adams and that, and with Canadian radio, you have to have a certain amount the of content Canadian law. Content, yeah, right? That still ruled the airwaves, but on the mainstream rock stations, you'd get maybe a handful of songs in heavy rotation. Uh, you'd get uh, like even flow and that from you know from uh, Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam. And the Nirvana, Nirvana, one or two hits, but uh, no, it it didn't do quite what what happened in the U.S. It didn't really shut things down. Yeah, and that's it. That's an interesting part of it. And, and thanks, Don. I'm just moving quickly here because we get as many people in as we can before we have to end. But that's the that's the interesting part of it is for people that don't know in Canada. There is a content law that the radio stations in that country, the the terrestrial radio stations, must play a certain percentage of Canadian artists to this day. Yep. So it benefits homegrown Canadian artists. So in some way, that would have protected mm-hmm. the Canadian market a little bit against the backlash that happened in America because they still had to... There weren't a lot of Seattle-sounding bands from Canada. We should have had that law about Seattle. at least in the tri-state area (laughs) right here's al in jersey go ahead al hey guys how are you how you doing man we're good jersey is in vegas right now with the three of us the garden state in the desert yeah listen i want to thank uh steve and pj because earlier this year i went up to wdha and they were walking out and they took a picture with me and they uh Time my WDAJ hat and gave me their guitar pick. So I, I want to. Thank All right, you. I remember you. That's really nice of them because usually they blow right by people and they don't don't even let you look them in the eye. No, I remember so. we actually put them to work. We're like, hey, you're here. We got to do this vid drop for a for a show coming oh, up. That's here, right, hold yeah. this camera and film us. Yeah, we got to do right. a promo video. Yeah. We put them to work. Thanks, Al. You're a good guy. Yeah, no Thanks, problem, buddy. Uh, somebody mentioned it before, and uh, but I'm gonna you know it warrants the mention again. Um, uh, I, I'm going with Dawkins Dysfunctional. I think that's a great reunion album by them. It came out in 94 in Japan and then 95 in the U.S. And, uh, it, I mean, I, there's a song on there, Hole in My Head, man. When I first heard it, I, I honestly thought it was King's X. I mean, it, it sounded like they were listening to a lot of King's X and the Beatles with their harmonies. I, don't know, I, I think it's a pretty phenomenal album. So, Did that um, album have um, Too High to Fly on it? Was that the single? Yes, yes it had that one as well. Yeah. I, I think it's a... And I had a cover of uh, "From the Beginning" by ELP, which was really cool. Right. And uh, right. and and just I'm gonna play a little impromptu "Stump the Trunk" real quick. What was the album that knocked Nirvana off the top of the charts? 
Was it Slave to the Grind? No. No. No, because that would have been before, right? Yeah. Slave to the Grind was the first yeah. number one metal record. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give you a hint. <sighs> knocked it out. What knocked it out of number one? Was it ever at number one? Yes. And Steve Brown. I don't know. Played, uh, in this, Steve Brown playing in this band. Steve Brown knocked Nirvana off the charts. Well, he wasn't on the album, but he played. Oh, it was a Def Leppard. Wait, it's a Def Leppard record. Adrenalized. Adrenalized. Def Leppard. That album. That album knocked Nirvana's Nevermind off the number one spot. That's impressive. Well, Nevermind had probably been out at that point a year or so, right? Like it probably was kind of nothing against. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it built up to number one, but then when Adrenalized came out, it ended up knocking it off the top of the charts. So it's. It, yeah, it, yeah. The irony is there. The irony is there. We were all, yeah. Yeah, we, we, we were all hoping at that point. Was like this nightmare is over. Def Leppard's going to save back. all of we're us. Back. Def Leppard Adrenalize is going to be the record that's going to re-get bring back the eighties, man. You, you know, I was just thinking about like huge bands and how they weathered that storm. Van, ha- what year was Balance? Ninety five. It was was what year was Four Unlawful Carnal Knowledge? Ninety one. Ninety one. So for, for so balance is after the is the only yeah. Van Halen album after the gate, and it shows because that album is if there is such a thing as an overlooked Van Halen record, right. balance, balance is that is a great record. But yeah, you know what's a cool story about um, how let's say bands got along. So here it is, ninety one, the the for unlawful carnal knowledge Van Halen tour. Allison Chains is the opening act. Now we. We're good friends with the Van Halen camp. We went to shows and we became good friends with the Allison Chains guys. So we all got along. You know, Allison Chains was part of the '80s hard rock scene, like a lot of those bands they that for morphed. Skid Row. Right? They morphed into. They also opened for Poison too. Yeah. Allison Chains. Right before we did. Right yeah. before we did in 1991. So it was a really cool time because it was like, man, I remember vividly that we were backstage and me and Jerry Cantrell were in Eddie's pit and playing. Ed's guitar and me and Jerry were just in Guitar World together the year, you know, a couple months before. And he's like, hey, man, you got more pictures than I did. I go, well, the roles are reversed now because you're opening for Van Halen. But I right. remember at that gig, we were all there and Lane Staley goes to the crowd. All right, all you trickster-loving motherfuckers at the Meadowlands. Wow. And it was so cool. <laughs> wow. But those guys are great, like a lot of the bands. And now... 30 years later when we see whatever bands you know some of the Soundgarden guys some of the STP guys you know we know Robert and Dean DeLeo the Jersey guys we're all friends there's no bitterness and I don't think there ever was any bitterness with the bands you know besides the Metallica winger thing which I think was just a kind of a bullshit thing it was you know anyway here's Jimmy in Ohio Jimmy go ahead time to rebuild my trickster collection Hey. Yes, and that's that's the attitude. <laughs> Eddie must have been reading my mind because I wanted to ask you guys before I get to my album. Uh, have you ever done anything with Butch Walker? I thought I heard something that you did. No, no we nope. never we never did. Just Butch is a friend, and you know, of course, man, what a what a career he's had as a producer and a writer, and really just so happy that he's back with Marvelous Three and. 
You know, I'm good friends with his manager, Jonathan Daniel, you know, who bet we know him, his history. If you but, want to know Jonathan's yeah. story, watch that Paramount Plus documentary that's yeah. on I Want to Rock because yeah. he was in bands himself at <clears> one point. But no, we never worked with Butch, but definitely, you know, Marvelous 3 was an influence for me as a songwriter as far as going that atomic, you know, sort of atomic pop rock thing, you know, supercharged power trick that we did with Soaked and with 40 Foot Ringo especially. So love Butch, super, super talent. Jimmy, give us your record or your band. Okay, so I'm going to go with Warrant Ultraphobic. Love that album. It's heavy. It's, it's melodic. I, I just love that album. It was after the grunge thing. But, Eddie, I wanted to ask you about another album, Army of Anyone. Do you remember that? Yeah. So that was Stone Temple Pilots. That was Robert and Dean with Ray Luzier on Soldier. drums. And yes. Richard Patrick, I think. Rich, the Patrick brothers, one is the actor from... Uh, Terminator. Terminator, and the other is the singer from Filter. I always get right. them, Richard and Robert. I get them confused. They're brothers. Rob, but, they're yeah, brothers. Robert's the actor. I Richard's never the singer. Richard that. Patrick. You never so knew. They look exactly alike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Army of Anyone was STP. What well, well, was Robert and Dean with Ray and uh, and Richard? Yeah. And I actually Great interviewed. Album. And I actually Every interviewed song them. On there is awesome. I actually did a TV interview with them for VH1 Classic. Before I was doing that metal show, the stuff I was doing there before. And uh, whenever I see, I actually was at a show and STP were, thanks, Jimmy. STP was playing on a festival and so was Korn. And Ray Luzier plays drums in Korn. And I was talking to Robert and Dean and Ray came over. I go, Army of Anyone reunion. Look, we can do it, you know. But that was later, though. That record was like 04, something yeah. like that. That was definitely not... Uh, that well past that time, yeah. and STP Robert and Dean did that because they were having so many problems with why yeah, STP was on a hiatus. They needed to figure out what else to do and get with another singer. Here is uh, Monica in Phoenix joining us. Hi, Monica. Oh, hey, Eddie. Oh my gosh, I didn't think I was going to make it. Hi, um, PJ. Hi, Steve. Hi, um, Hi Monica. Are you near Flagstaff? Uh, Are you near Flagstaff? I'm in Phoenix. I'm in. Phoenix. Oh, how far is that? Two hours, two half um, hours. Yeah, yeah, it's not too far. Well, they'll give you gas oh. money if you go see them on Saturday in Flagstaff. They'll... Maybe you can shoot a promo video. And for by us. the way, that's a lot nope. of money these days. Gas money, be two hundred hey, bucks. Hey, for I, sure. all right. I just, I might just go up there, but yeah, I'll. I'll there you go. Hope so, show, guys. Okay, you buy so a ticket for the... twenty bucks, they give you two hundred in gas. You're way ahead of the game. You're pocketing some big money. There. It's a win-win. <laughs> yeah, that's get a crazy. voucher. <laughs> Okay, um, one of the first bat. Um, okay, you guys, everybody knows Firehouse, of, of course, but I like their Hold mm -hmm. Your Fire from 92. Um, mm -hmm. I thought it was great. And a couple people already called in um, some of the ones I ha uh, had on my list, but I also Wild Side from 92 under the influence. I don't know if you guys. I guess well, yeah, that. that's my good friend Brent Woods. Brent, Woods, Brent yeah. was in oh, that, cool. and then. Uh, yeah, Brent's one of my best friends, and that was his. That record was recorded at fifty one fifty. Yeah, I remember in uh, at, at Eddie Van Halen's studio. There's a lot of people that. Uh, so here's a funny story. <laughs> Thank you, Monica. Here's a funny quick story. So the Guitar World magazine, in like six months ago or less, did a story, and they called it like the ten best. I think they used the term "I hate hair metal," but they said something like the ten best uh, hair metal records or something that you never heard of that you should know about. And one of the records in the 10 was the wild side record. Yeah. And they went on and raved about the guitar playing on the record. 
and credit it all to the other guitar player <laughs> on the record. They never mentioned Brent. So I took this the story and I go, hey, I got good news and bad news for you. He's like, what? So I send him the screen grab of the story. And I go, but they never mentioned you playing guitar. They mentioned the other guy playing, you know, how great his playing is. And Brent goes, that's really funny because I played all the guitars on the record that's and right. that guy didn't play a note. And I was just like, oh, my God. So I even connected him with the writer and he's like, oh, man, I want to interview you and fix this or whatever. But it, he didn't care. It was just because he's so past, you know, yeah, not, not thinking of that. But, yeah, there's people, a lot, lot of people love that Wild Side record. I've heard a lot of people bring that up. Um, let's see. We have one more or two more in before we got to call it. Here's Wes in Wisconsin. Go ahead, Wes. Hey, guys. Uh, pleasure to talk to all of you. Uh, happy belated birthday, Eddie. And by the way, one of Thank my you. favorite moments of, of your 40-year career is when you interviewed Steve, probably the night before he was set to fill in for Phil. Colin, I think Phil's son was sick maybe or something like that or was just being born or what have you. And Steve gave us a huge backstage look at how he fits into Def Leppard and just some stories about the guys and stuff. And they're my favorite band. So I was, I was hanging on every word. I remember sitting in a parking lot, just listening with bated breath to everything. So just wanted to throw that out. Um, oh, thank you, Wes. I, yeah, of course. Um, I didn't listen. I was in and out of the car for the first hour of the show. I'm not sure if this was mentioned. I guess the first two bands that come to mind always for this topic are Winger, Pull, and Warrant, Dog Eat Dog. But the third mm -hmm. band I'm going to throw out there is let's, fast forward about eight more years forward the black crows out of nowhere with by your side my favorite black oh. crows album oh yeah we went to see by your sides my favorite black crows album top to bottom yeah, yeah. stop kicking my heart around yeah. kevin shirley yep. did that go record faster. go faster by your side horsehead heavy virtue and vice just solid album out of nowhere I Great love, record, but it doesn't. It, it, it didn't. Wasn't feeling the repercussions of Nirvana. Yeah, think. it didn't. Yeah, Black <laughs> right. But Black Crows it wasn't hit by the yeah, wall. Yeah, Black Crows were not part of the scene that the wall took them out. So they could have. But but I but by your side is probably my favorite Black Crows record. It's an amazing album, and uh, interestingly, the only Black Crows album where Rich Robinson plays all the guitars, because mm -hmm. uh, in the past there was always another. Lead. Rich played all the guitars on that that record actually. Well, there are so many more bands and records we did not get to in that segment, in that two-hour show, but we gave you uh, some of them with Steve and PJ here on this week's podcast. Again, if you are a SiriusXM subscriber, listen to full shows, interviews, anything you want, audio, video, and more by going to the SiriusXM app, punching in my name, or Trunk Nation. If you're in the U.S. and Canada and you'd like to join us on SiriusXM and you are not a subscriber, well, you can get a free subscription right now. Go to SiriusXM.com slash Eddie Trunk. Three months free on the app or over the radios. No credit card required. So please come on board and join us for Trunk Nation Monday through Friday, 3 to 5 Eastern Time live on Faction Talk 103 or anytime on the app. Be sure to follow me on social media at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook page. EddieTrunk.com is the website. Have a great week. Hope to catch you on the radio. If not... Catch you back here next Thursday for another episode of the podcast. When you need
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with Sirius XM's Listen Next program, presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with Sirius XM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Isa as host Isa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.